Hi, everyone, and welcome to the European VC podcast. I am David, as you know, aka LP Syndicate Lead. And as usual, I'm super happy and excited to be here alongside with my esteemed co-founder, Andreas, the LP Hype. Today we have with us what I would like to call a newfound countryman because he's based in Lisbon as well, Roman Diaz from Satgana. We've known Roman for quite some time now and we had the pleasure of cooking, talking shop and even going on events together and now also investing. Yes, and that is exactly what brings us to today's episode because we are leading a syndicate into Roman's fund, Satgana, Fund 1. And we thought, what better way to tell the world than bring Omar on the European VC podcast on a far too belated episode, I think, because we have spoken many times about bringing you on, but we never got around to doing it. So here the final episode is is getting done. <laughs> exactly. And to the attentive listener, we've had Omar on another episode already so you'll revisit some content but here we'll dive much deeper so if you're ready for a talk about climate french accents winning personalities interesting track record preliminary performance in an emerging fund this is this is it this is this is what we're what we promised for today as i said we have roman diaz with us roman is french and spanish living in lisbon general partner at satgana a luxembourg-based Pre-seed impact venture fund backing European and African climate tech startups building the future of Earth. Satgana is investing out of Fund One with a total of 3 million euros AUM. Yes, we love our micro funds. We love that. And an established portfolio of 11 companies so far and notable investments including Orbio Earth, Cubic and Fullsoon, which we'll talk a bit more about later. Finally, if you're listening and love our show, drop us a review, follow the pod, and subscribe at eu.vc. Tear down this wall. It's more than just an alliance. This, this is a union of values, of values. United and determined, we can serve as a model for other regions of the world. The nature of a problem, problem. requires a European response. Europe is a story of new beginnings, new, new beginnings. Let's start acting, 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 acting. This show is not investment advice, and the hosts of this episode may be invested in the funds and companies featured. Roma, let's start this thing off with the founding story of Setgana. Tell us everything. How did you come to found Setgana? Thank you so much, guys. Super excited to be here today. Um, so yeah, thank you for having me. A bit of background on me uh, before getting into how we got there. I am originally from France, as you can hear from the accent. <laughs> I've uh, lived and uh, built companies for many years in emerging markets before relocating back to Europe uh, with a very entrepreneurial background, founded, co-founded a number of ventures, had two modest exits so far. I also co-founded and ran the first venture, one of the first venture studios in Africa, a fund called Far Ventures, which is now fully deployed and, and uh, uh, having a quite a, a high performance for our LPs back in the days. And a couple of uh, years ago, I started to read and learn about climate change, about sustainability, about the existential threats that humanity is facing. So 
that led me to decide to take a bit of a break after having uh, an exit that gave me a financial freedom for a while to really explore what I really wanted to do. That led me to uh, decide to travel to India, really take time to uh, think about what I really wanted to do and decided basically to do what I had done before, although it was not so focused on impact. It was more traditional AI, fintech and more traditional ventures. Decided to take all the learnings of what I had done before to do it at a bigger scale. Having relocated back to Europe, I'm now lucky to be based in Lisbon. And most importantly, to focus on uh, what I believe is one of the biggest challenges, but also one of the biggest opportunities of our time, which is climate change. So based on that, um, decided to yeah, start to look at the pipeline of companies, to identify gaps in the ecosystem, uh, to speak to a lot of founders and to start positioning ourselves into the ecosystem as a pre-seed uh, climate fund. And uh, when we felt like we had enough of a good team, strategy, pipeline, and so on, we went out to market to try and raise our first fund, which we are now uh, deploying from. We've done a first closing last year. I'm sure we'll dive a bit more in detail into this. And yeah, we're still uh, in, let's say, day one, uh, still very early in the process, but uh, very committed to this long-term journey because we believe it's uh, the right thing to do. It's uh, immense crisis, but also an immense opportunity. And we're uh, very, very energized by uh, the quality of founders and co-investors and LPs and so on that we get to speak to on a daily basis. So we really feel like we're doing the right thing at the right time with the right people. And Roma, I know because we did chat that the first closing of the fund was somewhat of a pivotal moment, uh, obviously for you as as a founding GP, of course, but more importantly for the for the firm, for the fund itself, but for the firm as well. I'd love to ask you to share a bit about that. A lot of our listeners might be hustling to get their their funds uh, structured, designed, or even raised or launched. Uh, so obviously, there's learnings there, but above all, share with us like that pivotal moment and how it's kind of shaping your path forward. Yeah, for sure. It's been uh, one of the most pivotal moments in my uh, whole professional life, I would say, um, because we started really at the very beginning of COVID, so early 2020, and the first closing happened in June 2022. So it took us two and a half years, although we had been raising for about a year, year and a half, because it also took time, time at the beginning to not go out to market directly without having a proper team and strategy pipeline and so on. So let's say about a year to a year and a half to get to first close which is, by the way, something to really keep in mind for any uh, any GP raising their first fund is to at least ensure that they have the runway to last uh, for a while without having any salary or any compensation. That's very, very important. And knowing that it takes time because uh, it takes uh, resilience and perseverance and self-doubt and so on. Um, so for us, getting to first close, we I'm actually super grateful to one of our LPs because initially our first... Uh, uh, closing target was 5 million euros and the first LP who committed, which is a family office out of uh, Germany called Coulomb Capital, uh, he uh, he allows us to, to communicate on his name. He's also committed to other climate funds out there. He told me, let's uh, let's do a first close on 2 million. I really believe you in you, in the strategy, in what you're doing and so on. So do a first close at 2 million so that you can start to deploy and start deploying. And that was uh, really a blessing because uh, he was the first uh, person to commit and enable us to do a first close on something that goes against a conventional wisdom. A lot of people say you need to do a first close at 30, 50, 70% of your total target. He said, 
even if it's 10% of your target, let's do it. You'll build a tracker call, you'll deploy, you'll build early performance and so on, and it will get a lot easier. And I'm super grateful for that because uh, the moment we got to 2 million in commitments, we did the first closing, that was 1st of June, 2022. And uh, then it was not a question of if this thing is going to work because in the fundraising period, there was a lot of doubt, obviously. Am I crazy to do this thing? Uh, is this going to work? A lot of people tell you it's too hard to raise the first time fund. You need X, Y, Z and so on. And still decided to pursue that. And um, yeah, and it eventually worked out. And then the, the question was not if anymore, but more like how much and how big and how uh, like on what time frame and what impact and so on. But at least you can deploy. And then the conversations with entrepreneurs become different. The conversation with LPs, the conversation with talent, with co-investors and so on. So that was really pivotal. And on a more, more personal note, um, I had been working like crazy for two and a half years. Uh, doing basically nothing else than working and uh, like a wink of uh, history in my own personal life is that the day after the uh, first closing i met the woman who is going to become my wife next year so <laughs> that's uh, that that was kind of a moment for me <laughs> it's always better to meet the woman who's going to be your wife and mother of your children on the back of having management fees coming in versus <laughs> <laughs> that is true so Roma, I'd love to ask you to just share a little more on those reflections on a personal level of deciding to to do that first close at two million. We can all figure out that you know with the team, there's not a lot of management fee for yourself on that fund size, and a lot of people come and visit them, or, or, or at least what many people would say is, well, I want five million at least before I do the first close. We, of course, David and I, ever, I think many knows that we have a propensity to love small funds, of course, for the, for the returns potential on something that's as small as that. It's just easier to, to return big multiples on, on that type of money. But then there's also the other part, which is it, it shows a hustle mindset, which I think is super paramount in venture. And it allows founders, and it's, of course, a signal to founders that you are in the same boat as them, that you're not just a wealthy guy flying in. But for me as an LP as well, it also goes to show that you're not in this just to to, to milk the cow. Um, so, Roma, I'd love to ask you to, to tell us a little more about your own reflections here. I think you're making very good points. So we're obviously not uh, getting rich off of fees at the moment, not that is even the goal in the long term, um, because I think the trust that LPs put in us is paramount. And uh, just getting rich of management fees, if we ever manage billions, is uh, is not really where we intend to go. It's more about uh, really delivering the performance from a financial and impact perspective. That's what matters. But obviously, the question is around how do we make this work? A lot of people have asked us. And so there's a number of levers that we've pulled. And you also said uh, something around uh, uh, being on the same boat as entrepreneurs. I consider myself almost more of an entrepreneur than, a, than an investor because I come from that background and because I'm building a firm, that's what I'm doing. I'm building an investment firm and our product is, um, is yeah, it's a product for LPs, it's a product for founders. Uh, but in the end, what I'm building is, is Satkana as a firm uh, that is doing fund one and we'll do fund two and so on and, and we might get there later. But um, 
I'm more of an entrepreneur. And because of that, I tend to think out of the box and find solutions and pull levers here and there. So to be uh, quite transparent on the levers that we had to pull in order to make a 2 million fund work, uh, first of all, so we have a small team which draws fairly small salaries, so below market rate. So again, not making a lot of money out of fees. A second uh, lever that we were very uh, grateful and fortunate to have is that We've been selected as part of the International Climate Finance Accelerator in Luxembourg, which selects four climate fund managers per year and gives them access to a working capital facility uh, for the fundraising period. So that also helps. We've also implemented a fee structure that front loads some management fee in the first year. So we have a standard management fee over the course of the fund, over its 10-year life, but we front load some management fees in the first years, which also helps. And then last but not least, and that's maybe one of the main uh, tools that we have, is that we have a very innovative and uh, inclusive carry structure which gives carried interest to quite a few people that enable us to have a whole lot of wonderful people who have expertise in climate, in impact, technology, marketing, fundraising, uh, specific industries and so on that we can pull from. That's a consortium of about 20 people in total that are advisors, venture partners, venture scouts and so on. And that carry model is based on different um, levers like uh, startups referrals, MPs referral, time invested, etc., etc. And all of that enabled us to make things work, basically, with a very long-term outlook. So before we deep dive into any of that or anything else, for that matter, I gave you a quick rundown of Setgana, which is obviously nice, but I obviously fell short. <laughs> Roma, give us give us the rundown. What is Setgana? What are you building? Uh, not only the fund, but the firm. At the core of it, maybe the, the, the name is uh, Satgana means a good company in Sanskrit. That's really what we're trying to be by doing the right thing in terms of how. So you could think of it more as ESG, so uh, gender, uh, inclusivity, uh, again, uh, carry sharing and so on. So it's more around the how, uh, but also and maybe even more importantly is the what, what do we invest in? So we really uh, strive to invest into what we believe is what the world needs. Uh, not necessarily always what the world wants. We see a lot of opportunities that might make money, but we don't think it's necessarily what the world needs at this point in time, because we see a whole lot of uh, intertwined crises, uh, namely the climate crisis, the biodiversity crisis, uh, are, are the two main ones that we're looking at. Uh, currently, the main, um, let's say, the main uh, vertical or asset class or paradigm that we're tackling is, is climate, uh, because that's where we see a lot of opportunities. But we also look at plastics. We we'll also look at biodiversity. We we'll also look at uh, pollution in general, air, soil, uh, air, soil, and water, and so on. But in general, it's climate tech. That's the vertical that we focus on. Uh, my background, the opportunities that we see and where we think there's a gap in the market means that we invest at the pre-seed stage. We are among the very few that invest so early. And I can really uh, confirm that because a lot of deal flow that we receive is from founders who uh, say that the other funds out there that uh, I love and work with say that it's too early. And also a lot of funds that we work with send us deal flow in saying, would love to invest in that company at seed stage, but it's too, a bit too early for us. So uh, look at them. So that's also a gap that we've identified in the market is that very, very few people invest at pre-seed climate tech because it's uh, 
high risk and oftentimes is very uh, unproven or early in the in being proven in terms of technology market and so on so in the end we invest in teams first and foremost we invest in big markets we invest in big potential impact and uh, fair terms basically that's what we do I'd love to ask you, Romain, on that precede note, because yes, we don't have many VC funds that are dedicated or too interested in the in the precede space, to be honest. I, I do think that that is very true in the climate space. Um, I would like to ask you, how do you see the angel environment in Europe? Because you're, you're, you're investing broadly, right? So you, I'm sure you have a very good view on, on the angel scene, particularly the, the the angel scene for climate tech definitely quite active we like to co-invest alongside angels who bring value beyond just capital that's that's very obvious we even sometimes do spvs for like to increase especially when you have very high conviction into a specific company and we can't deploy that much we will then put together an spv and raise with outside angels as well we generally see appetite because of the the returns potential because everybody knows by now that we need to decarbonize all sectors of the economy from mobility transport to uh, food agriculture energy and so on so there's returns potential there's also impact potential which is uh, very much uh, something we see with angels is that they want to put their money to work towards things that uh, contribute to making this world a better, a better place. We may have all, all have slightly different definitions, but in general, there's intentionality from the founder side and from the investor side. And uh, generally, obviously, they try to uh, become quite involved with the startups, and that's something that we like to see. Uh, the angel scene may be a bit more active in certain uh, markets than others. Let's say, I would say, London, Paris, Berlin are probably the main three hubs uh, where we see angels being active on deals. But there's other markets uh, in in Denmark, in uh, in the Netherlands, in Sweden, and, and even a bit more uh, up and coming market that I maybe know a little bit less. But it's very active, and we really like to collaborate with angels. I always have this reaction to when I hear a GP say something that every single GP says, <laughs> which you did say, which was we like to co-invest with angels. But I think it's important to share, and I'm here looking at all the data we have on Satgan and I'm looking at the current portfolio and without disclosing names for obvious reasons, I can say that there's at least two deals where we have this big group of strategic angels backing the companies as well. So this is just me saying, yes, everyone says it. Yes, Roman said it. Well, I have I have some data that shows it's true. <laughs> and so I thought I should I should put it out there, which is which is really important. Roman, I'm gonna, and maybe it's an unfair thing to do and we can come back to it and revisit it, but I'm gonna skim a bit quickly over the fact that climate tech is a growing area of interest and there's 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 basically a mega trend and you talk about this and again we can come back on this or even if an, a listener is interested uh ping us and we'll do a, a dedicated content piece or whatever on that with with Homa and, and some of our other friends in the space as well i want to go straight into the um the investment strategy side right so here we are today you have 11 companies in the portfolio to my understanding, you're striving to build a portfolio of 30-ish companies or so, putting in, as you said, uh, small tickets, pre-seed tickets, so 100 to 200K. Give us a quick rundown of, of you know, the strategy here as well. I gave the, the major highlights here, but also how do you plan to pull it off with your fund size and what are kind of here the, the, the levers that you can play with as you, you know, might fundraise more capital, less capital, we never know, right? Um, I'd love to hear you expand a bit on the strategy and how you adapt to the macro. 
One thing for sure for us in terms of strategy and in terms of where we want to go for this first fund is that we will deploy into 30 companies, uh, regardless of our fund size. Currently, we're still raising. I think it's no secret anymore. We're in the final leg of fundraising for Fund 1, and we already have enough capital to deploy into 30 companies based on our uh, fund size. The variable is how much we will be able to reinvest at seed. So we don't know exactly how much we'll um, end up raising. What we know is when our final close will be and we'll end up on a certain amount. And that certain amount will uh, have an influence on how much we can reinvest at seed. Uh, one other thing for sure is that, um, I'm not for sure, but uh, there's a quite a high chance that many of our portfolio companies will raise subsequent rounds. And what we've mentioned to our LPs is that we will offer co-investment opportunities use our prorata as much as possible to enable them to double down on our winning companies. For example, we have one company that currently uh, has raised uh, quite an uh, exciting seed and I can delve a bit more into it a bit later. We will offer, like, it's, it's, we're very confident that they will keep on growing and raise Series A and so on, but we will not reinvest in the current state of things because we really want to first focus on deploying on 30 companies, which is really what uh, we've sold as a, pro a value proposition to our LPs and also what we believe is a healthy diversification. If we do more than that, it becomes unmanageable and it becomes basically an index and then you have low quality in your portfolio and so on. And if you do too little, you don't have enough diversification and you might return zero as well. Obviously, it might also mean that you return 20x, but also zero. So we feel like 30 is a good diversification. And uh, with what we have already, which is, um, uh, yeah, it's, it enables us to deploy into 30 and then we'll see how much we can deploy in follow-ons. Yeah. And you mentioned something that for obvious reasons, uh, I am somewhat passionate and attentive about, which is collaborating with the both angels, generally speaking, but angels in your own LP base. And you mentioned co-investing and provider rights, which... Again, many talk about it. What I tend to find is it's conceptually a great thing. It's actually quite hard to pull off for multiple reasons, right? Or from the GP standpoint, it's hard to pull off because you know it's it's not that evident how can you keep this group of individuals engaged and up to date so that they can act quick enough at the times that you need when you need, and more importantly, when the founder needs. But also from from the angel side, sometimes it's like it's really hard to get that clarity and understand what's the pipeline like. Part of the timings like and kind of nudge the GP for for it. So I'd love to just ask, you know, in terms of your reflections on how to pull that off. And obviously it fits into a bigger concept of GP angel collaboration, GPLP collaboration, right? Love to hear you expand a bit on that. Yeah, for sure. You're raising very good points. And on top of that, there's another complexity, which is around the amount and timing, because uh, even if you're quite involved in the round, you never fully know exactly when it's going to close. And you don't know how much allocation you should ask for with the founders. It might be a competitive round and it might be uh, hard to squeeze you in. And then you still ask for whatever, 200K, 500K, or, uh, but you actually don't know, maybe you are going to do less and then deceive your, disappoint your, your founder. Uh, so it's, it is tricky. Uh, so it's really a matter of communication at the end of the day with your LP base and with the founders. Also transparency with founders is super important to say, hey, this investment will not come from our funds, but from a syndicate that we're trying to put together. Explain why it might be of interest for the founders as well. Keeping one line on the cap table as much as possible. 
So it is complex, but at the end of the day, it comes down to a very clear and transparent communication. What we know from our LP base, we have about 68 P's in our, in our fund, is that some of them are interested in co-investments um, and they've mentioned it multiple times. And some of them are more like, okay, we know you, we trust you, we like your strategy and we don't need to double down. Some of them don't even have the capital or some of them just do fund investing. So not all are invested uh, or interested in investing in, on a deal budget basis. So what we did is that we uh, openly asked to our LPs, in general, are you open and, and willing to co-invest and, and double down on our uh, specific portfolio companies, uh, knowing the risk is more high risk, more high reward, etc. And then we know within our LP base who is interested. We've put them into a specific uh, category so that we can push deal and then they kind of know uh, what it is about. They know a bit the rules of the game and so on. And then you quickly need to do back and forth between your LP base and, and your startup founders to really ensure that you calibrate it the right way. And I think this is the perfect the perfect time to talk about you know a bit more about the portfolio and 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 you know the the follow on potential right because this is all driven by that and I think there's a cool little number that I'd like to tease out of you which is there is a little nice markup on Fund One <laughs> not that bad tell us about it and tell us from your perspective how did you how did you get to that so indeed currently our fund is sitting on uh, unrealized MOIC multiple on invested capital of a bit more than four. Uh, that's driven by a number of our portfolio companies which have been raising subsequent rounds at higher valuations than the ones that we came into. Uh, so far it's primarily uh, driven by one or two. Uh, one of them has recently uh, joined uh, Y Combinator and then ended up raising uh, quite a sizable round at a very attractive valuation. I can't disclose numbers because it's not out yet, but uh, it's uh, one, one of the leading Silicon Valley-based funds that led the rounds, oversubscribed rounds, and we were leading the pre-seed round and it's our biggest investment so far. So that's really uh, leading the trail in terms of uh, MOIC so far for us, knowing that the vast majority of our portfolio companies have not even started to raise their subsequent rounds. And uh, we're still like the average age of our investment of out of 11 portfolio companies is only about six, seven months. So we're still quite early in our deployment, yet already posting that uh, MOIC of more than four. So we think it's a very promising trajectory. And uh, obviously, we, we intend to really be involved with all our portfolio companies, some more, some less, to really help them on everything operationally. That's also coming from my background as a previous uh, Venture Studio founder. So I really like to really get involved with our portfolio companies and uh, fundraising because we know a lot of the investors that we like and trust in each geography and each market and each vertical. So we really try to help our founders to raise the best rounds at the best timing with the best investors. So we trust that this uh, early performance is going to keep on increasing and uh, that's only a beginning. And for the more uh, skeptic listener or kind of, you know, more quant driven people listening in, uh, this is all valued based on the rounds that are happening, right? You're not, yep. you're not marking up startups yourself. It's just no. based, but you know, you have it at cost and then you mark up because there is an upcoming 
uh, round that just 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 changed. No, no, it's really only based on the rounds that actually happened. And uh, another metric that I can share is on revenue growth, because obviously uh, people can also challenge valuation. But in terms of revenue growth, I mean, you could also argue that it's revenue and not profitability, but I think it's still a, a very good, uh, <laughs> promising trajectory. You is can that... always argue. You can always yeah, argue course, against everything, course. right? <laughs> and I welcome the skeptics. But uh, the revenue in our portfolio since our investment with an average age of six to seven months is 15x. And uh, that's driven by a number of companies. It's also uh, not only one company. Yeah, it's as of now, it's over five million in revenue generated so far. And uh, when we invested, invested, it was at less than than like two hundred or so. So it's yeah. also enormous growth uh, from a revenue perspective. So also very promising. Yeah, and I just wanted to jump in on this as well and say, in the beginning, we said that we love the small funds and here you're seeing the power of it right we said in the beginning three million a aum that is of course what also allows for for forex to to surface this quickly and, and and this early and then you might say or or in normal venture terms as a big lp you might say well i'm less interested in these small funds because i can't deploy the big tickets that i want to into these small funds and for that reason you know i can't spend the time there but for angel investors like David and I that love partnering up with funds, we don't care about that, right? I'm not. My problem is not deploying. How can I be allowed to deploy <laughs> two million or three million into Sedgana? It's about getting my 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 ten twenty k into Sedgana, and then and and then build a straight a really good relationship with with Omar and 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 see the money that I put in there in the beginning grow, and then you know, leverage that connection to then build my way into the next. And Omar, I'm sure that you're also seeing that this matches the profile of investors that you have. Of course, also considering everyone can do the math here, you've got 50, 60 LPs to 3 million. That means that this is a group of people that are interested in being close with you and like seeing high multiples on, on relatively small tickets. Yeah, exactly. I think you summarized it uh, very well. We are building a firm that we intend to be more institutional in the future, in the long term. But in this current fund, uh, which we think is going to drive maybe the biggest performance of all our funds, maybe in, in the long run, by its nature of being small, because as you said, um, and, and maybe the main reason is that you just need one outlier, one moderate significant exit, uh, and you already have your 5x, your potentially 10x fund. Um, so that's why we believe from a pure MOIC and IR perspective, we think it's going to be a very high performing fund. But in the mid-long term, of course, we want to start being a bit more institutional and be able to accept because we are technically, uh, we have the deal flow, we have the pipeline and even the portfolio to deploy more. It's just that it takes time to build a firm and to build the AUM. So, but we'll get there. Absolutely. And we love being part of the journey. So now, Omar, let's dive into the investment verticals and the portfolio that you have already established. I don't want us to, of course, dive super wide. I'd much rather that we pick uh, pick three specific companies to dive into. But first, tell us about the verticals and unpack the climate space and how you think about it first. I know we said we wouldn't talk too much about uh, why climate tech, um, but I think it's, uh, I'll just uh, drop a brief line on saying that uh, 
the climate funding gap uh, is is huge if we want to reach net zero and uh, and remain within uh, planetary boundaries. And there's a lot of uh, tailwinds that are uh, bolstering this uh, this vertical around regulatory pressure, around investors' preference, around corporate uh, net zero commitments, shift of talents, uh, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And that means that all of that is really a macro trend for the next 30 years across all the sectors of the economy. And so it's you could say that climate tech is niche, but it's also encompassing all sectors of the economy. And we've decided to opportunistically look at all of them because they all have a massive impact from a, a greenhouse gases perspective and also because we see a lot of opportunities across these verticals. So we invest in food and agriculture, energy, mobility, industry, buildings, uh, carbon removal and quite a bit of uh, circular economy as well. We see a very interesting value propositions in, in this space that generally have a, a double impact, which we really like. And so, um, yeah, these are the main verticals that we invest in too. Uh, always really early stage and with a business model that's really uh, ingrained, uh, where, where impact is really at the core of the business model whereby there's no trade-off between impact and returns, but it's really the more company scales, the more positive impact it has. I think that there's both a mission-driven reason to be be joining into these investments, but also a pure business one. Let's dive into the first company. And Roma, I'd love to ask you to, to dive into Aubrey Orth and tell us both about that startup, but also, also of course, what are the key achievements and, and, and share a bit of Bit of light there. So Orbio is a company that we invested in about a year ago. We led the, the pre-seed rounds. Uh, what they're doing is that for a little bit of education, uh, methane is a very potent uh, greenhouse gas, about 80 times more potent than CO2 in its first uh, 20 years. And it's uh, not being addressed as much as uh, CO2. One of the main sources of methane, about a third of methane emissions, come from the energy sector, notably from the oil and gas sector, notably from leaks. So it's basically things that could be quite easy to fix. Some people say that it's the lowest hanging fruit we have in the fight against climate change is to uh, just to fix these methane leaks from oil and gas. And this company, Orbio Earth, which was born out of Germany from two co-founders, Rob and Jack. Rob is from Germany and Jack from the UK. Uh, they came up with this algorithm and this AI-enabled technology to help the energy sector to monitor and reduce methane leaks. That's what they're doing. And we've been working with them very hands-on for the past year on everything from technology development, from impact management, marketing, fundraising, a lot of fundraising support and so on. And uh, they were about to close their seed round uh, just in, in June, but then they got the news that they got into a Y-cubinator, so they decided to not uh, close that seed round, which eventually was a very good thing because they ended up raising a much bigger seed round at a much bigger valuation after YC. Uh, so super proud of what they've achieved, and they've also uh, uh, multiplied revenue by four since they got into YC, and uh, yeah, super, super exciting uh, growth trajectory and impact trajectory. From my understanding, Roman, this is obviously impact related, obviously, right? But it's also in some way, is it hardware as well? Does it have a hardware play to it? 
I mean, uh, they're using hardware uh, infrastructure because they uh, leverage satellites, but it's existing satellites. So it's existing data sets and they use these public and private data sets, but their solution is purely software. So it's, it's AI has a bit of space tech into it as well, right? Yes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. AI, yeah. space tech, climate tech, all the cool stuff. <laughs> so this is it. From that perspective, and the reason I bring it up, it's a good example of what you were saying earlier before, how climate is niche, yes, but at the same time, it kind of it's, it embeds many other areas. Uh, and also the reason why you have this network of, of advisors and the carry sharing agreement around you, it allows you to understand the nuances of each one of these specific spaces where you, Roma, might not be an expert. Yeah, exactly. I'd love to ask you, Roma, on this Y Combinator topic because i think it's something that that a lot of people in the european ecosystem are like it's this fabled <laughs> incubator slash accelerator and that that everyone kind of knows but at the same time doesn't know firsthand i'd love to ask you how do you think about why company for your portfolio how do you work yourself with Y Combinator now that you've successfully brought one of your or seen one of your startups go in there and 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 build on the back of that? And maybe not the best place in the sense that I only have experience with one so far from our portfolio, uh, but we've clearly seen that uh, it has really helped them. And it's not only because of the fame of YC, because obviously uh, that drives a lot of attention and media and a lot of investors' outreach and uh, before even uh, YC was over, they had uh, 60 investors lined up uh, for, for the seed round and so on. So really, like it, it drives, because of the name and, and the fame and so on, of course, it, it's a very powerful signal. But it's not only that. It's also really, I can see that the, the revenue has uh, really skyrocketed, also because of the groundwork that we had done previously. But I can see that uh, the work that has been done through the problem is not just about signaling, it's about mentoring, it's about getting opening the right doors, it's about uh, really supporting the, the founders in a different way than, than we've done it so far. So as of now, I can say that for us, it's been a success. I also know from like... Not all YC combinators, uh, y combinators uh, companies will be successful. And maybe if you don't end up raising successfully after YC, maybe that's a bad signal and maybe that uh, can uh, really uh, be detrimental for the long-term success of your company. Uh, but so far for us, if you do it right, uh, so far it's been uh, very much a success. Would you take us into talking about one other portfolio company? And I'd ask you to pick whichever you prefer uh, between Cupic and Fullstone, because I think both provide good stories around what it is that you're doing with uh, with Zagana. Maybe I'll speak a bit about uh, Cubic. So full soon for the record is a company that we, we invested in at, uh, at Precede. They do uh, AI solutions to help restaurants to manage and reduce food waste. Really, really interesting. And, and we love the founders and the team. But I'll speak a bit more about Cubic because that's also illustrating quite well one of the specificities of our fund which is that we have earmarked about 30% of our funds to invest in Africa. That's primarily driven by the fact that I had co-founding one of the first venture studios in Africa. I've been involved in the early days of what became the first unicorn in Africa about 10 years ago. And my partner, Anil, is also coming from Africa. So although he's based in Europe, we have really a foot on both continents. And we know that our LP base likes to have some exposure to Africa. It's not an Africa fund, uh, but having some exposure to it is very uh, interesting from them, for them from an intellectual 
and impact perspective and uh, financial because there's obviously a lot of growth from the continent uh, that uh, a lot of people say that Africa is the next China. So we think uh, there's um, there's a lot of interest and, and impact potential on the continent. So in short, Cubic is a company that we have invested in. At, uh, at uh, So they're doing... I really love them because there's a, a real triple impact embedded into their business model. One is that they do low carbon buildings made from hard to recycle plastics. So it's also a circular economy startup to do affordable housing. So low carbon buildings, circular economy and affordable housing all in one business model. And uh, they are doing something really, really hard from a country that receives less than 0.1% of global venture capital, which is Ethiopia. Uh, Ethiopia receives less than 1% of African VC funding and Africa receives 1% of uh, overall VC funding. So actually my math should be 0.01% of global <laughs> VC funding. So it's incredible. And um, the founders are just incredible. They're uh, from Ethiopia, but they studied in Ivy League uh, schools in the US. And uh, they relocated back to Ethiopia with this really strong mindset of driving impact and change. And uh, we've invested, and right after our investment, they have been uh, nominated and named Startup of the Year at the Global Startup Awards in uh, Copenhagen. They have generated or they have signed a big contract with uh, UNICEF. Uh, we've worked really hands-on with the founders. They came to visit me and Anil in uh, Lisbon. We've worked with them for a week and uh, we really love them. They're currently raising a subsequent round, which is not embedded into our current MOIC uh, calculations, but quite a significant round as well. And I uh, really love what they do because of the founders and because of the triple impact potential and the, the returns potential, obviously. With those two deep dives in mind, could you give us an overview of your entire portfolio, the 11 startups that so far have been invested and kind of tell us a bit about which tech they fall in, which geos and which sectors, just overview before we wrap things up. Yeah. So indeed, 11 investments so far out of 1,500 startups that we've analyzed, which means a selection rate of 0.7%. Uh, in terms of portfolio construction, we try to be really mindful of how we do so from a technological perspective. So we have about half of our portfolio, which is hardware focused about a third that is, or 25%, which is purely software and about also a quarter of a combination of hardware and software. That's what we think is the right thing from a climate impact and returns perspective and portfolio diversification. In terms of geography, we have about 75% uh, from Europe and 25% from Africa. And in terms of sectors, we look at food and uh, it's pretty well uh, spread across food and agriculture, mobility, industry, energy, the circular economy, and uh, the built environment and, and water. So yeah, that's currently our portfolio and we try to keep it well balanced. Uh, that's 11 portfolio companies in one year. We intend to have 30 in three years in total and to keep more or less that spread in terms of technology, geography, and, and sectors. I have, you know, something that I, two things I really want to surface uh, as kind of before we wrap things up. I think first one is what what you just shared with us, Homa, is really interesting. Uh, obviously, the data in itself is interesting, but it's interesting also because it's not common, and this goes into many things that I see from Satgana. It's not common to see such a small emerging fund to have such structured approaches in many things. As an example, you have, you know, your portfolio 
organized and structured. You can talk about it and you're keeping track of it. And as you move forward, you will be able to report on that to your LPs, but also just kind of asset test your strategy. And as you said, you're building a firm, right? What will fund two be like, right? And you're you're kind of tracking it and learning, and and that goes as well into to your data room. Like when I when I saw it, I was really well impressed about it's it's institutional grade or very close to, right? And that is not common, to be honest. And I thought I should surface that because I think it's a really important thing to highlight. Yes, we love small funds. Yes, we love emerging. That doesn't mean slacking, right? <laughs> Quite <laughs> the opposite. And one thing I wanted to highlight before we wrap things up, and I always. You know, when talking with with GPs like yourself, I always kind of veer off about talking too much about impact or sustainability, or or you know climate. I just did it right earlier early in this recording, but I think it is important to highlight. This is not a brand play, right? It's not it's not a marketing play. You know, you guys are committed to this. You guys are are really thinking about you know how can you create impact, whether that's you know environmental or social, whatever. But you are thinking about it, and you are an Article Nine fund. Right. So I just thought before we wrap things up, I should give you some time to talk about your commitment to impact, how you think about impact, but maybe more importantly, what does it mean uh, or what should it mean for upcoming LPs in your fund and their angels who want to work with you? So first of all, thank you so much for all the kind words and, and the support uh, really means the world from you seeing so many GPs. So yeah, impact is very much at the core of, of what we do. Uh, as you mentioned, we're Article 9 funds in the SFTR uh, framework. We actually, even literally this morning before this call, we wrapped up the uh, completion of our B Corp uh, application. So we will submit soon to become uh, one of the first. There are a few other funds that are B Corp certified, but that's um, that's uh, quite a big piece of work and, and commitment as well. You can't just uh, uh, greenwash your way through B Corp. It's, it doesn't work like that. So it's a, it's a true commitment. This carry sharing is very important to us. Diversity is super important to us from a gender perspective and from an ethnicity perspective. About 38% of our portfolio so far is coming from underrepresented minorities. And that's really a commitment we have. It's also about uh, really striving to do the right thing and showing that it's possible to make money while doing the right thing and inspire others to do so. So it's more indirect impact, but that's also at the core of what we do. Thank you as well for, for your mentions on, on the fact that we're thinking about uh, being institutional grade. And the reason for that is also uh, as simply as uh, this is the company of my life. I want to do it for, for the next decades. And uh, for that, we need to scale in terms of who we work with, uh, uh, institutions, in terms of portfolio, in terms of LPs, in terms of co-investors, in terms of community. And so um, part of doing that is also, is also going in this direction. So thank you so much for giving us that opportunity. Amazing, Roma. Thank you so much for inviting us to join you on your journey. And thank you for joining us on this podcast. And to everyone listening in, thank you for always being an attentive listener and for listening to the European VC podcast and hopefully also dropping a review and subscribing on eu.vc. As always, we'll be dropping together with this episode a bunch of highlights and key insights from the conversation. So don't miss it on eu.vc. And if anyone would love an intro to Roma, we are always happy to provide it. And otherwise, I guess your LinkedIn is probably not always the best place to reach you because it's uh, Roma it's okay. is not a problem yeah, yeah. at all. <laughs> so there we go. Omar is better at tending to his inbox than I am. So <laughs> everyone, thank you so much for listening in as always. Yeah.